Hey, Lily, did you know that I have climbed the highest mountains, I have run through the fields, only to be with you? Uh, what? (laughs) I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, only to be with you. Uh, okay, you're beginning to sound a little creepy right now. (laughs) Yeah, probably. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Oh, my days, really? Have we really got to the point where you quote U2 lyrics at me and I have to figure out what relevance this has to this week's episode? Um, you have a better idea? Yes, I do. No more searching. I'm just going to tell everyone that we're talking to Spotify's senior machine learning engineer, Johnny Brooks Bartlett, about the things every product person needs to know about search. There. See how easy that was? Yeah, actually, that's way more efficient. Next time you're in charge of the intro. Okay, enough silliness. Let's get right into it. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you. Hi, Johnny. Great to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. All the better for being here chatting to you today. (laughs) Now I have to make you feel good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're going to be chatting all about search today, but before we get stuck in, would you please give us a real quick intro into who you are, what you do in product, and how you got here? Yeah, sure thing. So yeah, my name's Johnny Brooks Bartlett. I'm a senior machine learning engineer at Spotify, and in particular, I work in the search team. So the product that I work on is, is Spotify Search, and at a very high level, My work is to build algorithms to give you the right results or the most relevant results when you when you make a query. So my journey to here is a bit like a roller coaster or it it hasn't (laughs) been linear. Let's put it that way. Um, So, you know, I started out and I won't dive too much into it so much. But at university, I, I did a maths degree. I went on and did a PhD in biochemistry. And then during that time, I was like writing a lot of software to, to analyze experiments. And I started to realize that the thing I liked most was the, the coding, the algorithms, uh, as opposed to the actual biology itself. So that's when I found out about this field called data science, which uh, is everywhere. It was massive. It was hyped up quite a lot. So this was around 2015 that I discovered this field. And, you know, it's all about big data and all these smart machine learning algorithms. So I decided to do a boot camp. I did a six week boot camp and then managed to get a job in a media publishing company called News UK. So I worked on, uh, I worked with editors and journalists from the Times newspaper and the Sun newspaper, trying to improve the, I guess, the content creation process. So can I support editors in knowing like what are the best things to put on social media at the right time? Um, can I get the right headlines and things like that? So I worked in that 
Then I moved to a company called Deliveroo and they do uh, food delivery. And in that company, that's when I did lots of different things in data science. I was doing a bit of fraud detection. I was doing a bit of recommendations and ranking. I was doing classification of menus. So there's a lots of different things. And it was great. Really loved it. Uh, and then in 2020, in the summer, I decided to move into not data science, but into engineering field as a machine learning engineer at Spotify. So this was more a move to say, I actually want to also work not just on the algorithms, but also on the systems that mm. serve these algorithms to all of these users. So that was that was a real switch for me. And it's been it's been a a real learning curve along the way, but I've I've really enjoyed it. And that's that's how I've ended up here at Spotify and in the search team. Yay, amazing. And search seems like the kind of thing where it's a bit of a an art and a science. But why do we still even need people to design search? like functions why why hasn't this problem been solved like search has been around since the the day zero on the internet like why do we need humans to figure out like how search should work yeah it's a good question again it's um it's one in which i guess it can be seen at the surface quite an easy problem if a user decides to type into a search bar exactly what they want is it that hard to give it to them? Um, and it turns out that in some cases, it's not that hard. And in some cases, it is very hard. Um, so the easy cases are when a user comes to a platform, knows exactly what they want, knows the, let's say, the title or a description, and they can type exactly the same thing uh, as the title or the description or, or any other metadata that, that we keep. So if you type exactly that, then it's easy for the search system for the search system to know um, what to retrieve and what to get you. It becomes very difficult in the cases when the user doesn't know exactly what they want. So it might be so at Spotify, it might be a case of if someone knows exactly they want to listen to a particular song by a particular artist, they might say, "Hey, I want to listen to Work by Rihanna." See, now I'm showing my age because I know that's not in the charts <laughs> anymore. Um, it, it came to my head first. <laughs> but yeah, if they want to listen to that. I'm just glad I knew who Rihanna was or is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I've got to a point where like we get presentations done at, at work and they're like, oh, yeah, this is like the biggest artist, most streamed artist on the uh, platform. And, and I'm like, who? Is that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that I would think be me. <laughs> that person is Bad Bunny. Two years in a row now, I think most streamed artists, and I have no idea who he was. None. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and yeah, I got a schooling about BTS, a huge Korean K-pop band. I had oh, no yeah. idea at the time. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, they're like Johnny. How do you not know? Um, <laughs> We are going to have to get a link to your playlist to share as yeah. part of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be old school. It'll be great. <laughs> oh, I love the old school. Um, but yeah, so sorry. What were I saying? So if someone knows exactly what they want, they can come in and type exactly that and they'll get it. However, some people might just say, I just want chill, mellow music. And then you're like, okay, what does chill and mellow mean to you? So 
are you looking for like a playlist of stuff? Are you looking for a particular track that's like that, an album? Or or now that we're actually branched out into more content types, we have podcasts on the platform on Spotify and also recently released audiobooks uh, at the moment, currently just in the US, um, but it will start to be available everywhere else. So people actually are searching differently. You don't search for necessarily the name of an author all the time. If you want a particular book, what is it now that you search for? If you want a podcast, is it do you typically type or query the rough topic that it's about? And that's just for Spotify. I mean, it gets if you get into like retail, could it be that someone wants a white dress? Now, all of a sudden, you have a text query, but you need to pull everything about maybe images and stuff. So you now start need to combine text with images, perhaps video, depending on your platform. So it actually is very complex to, to mm. do search. So let's let's step back a little bit and talk about how okay. a search query or a processing of a search query actually works. Or what is it? I think I've seen you talk about and you've said there's three pieces to how search actually works. Can you go through them, please? Yeah, sure thing. So this is when, when someone does a search, um, yeah, we can we can break down what happens into three main uh, steps. Uh, and I should say, not every company does all of these three steps uh, and not every company does them the same. So you'll have uh, the quality of a search engine from different places and different companies will be different because of how they perform these steps. But at least the, the broad way in which most places uh, will do search First step is what we call query processing. Second step is candidate retrieval. And a third step is ranking. So I'll go for each one of those and, and uh, in turn and hopefully like make it make some sense. So first off, you do query processing. So someone types a query. We have to get some sort of understanding or do some processing on that query. So it might be, for example, that that query is uh, incorrectly spelt. And in that case, we might want to do some query, uh, some spell correction. So that's some processing that might go on. Um, typical processing that happens almost all the time is what we call normalization of the text. But this could be things like making sure all of the letters are lowercase. Therefore, the search system doesn't mismatch uh, an uppercase uh, word with a lowercase word in the like, data store. When in search, when we have a store of all of the catalog, we call it an index. Um, so I'm going to try and use data store because it might mean more to people. But if I slip up and say index, that's what I mean. So, so yeah, so that's what we might do. We're going to process this query so it's easier for the downstream system, so the system that's actually going to retrieve the candidates, to be able to match stuff on the query. So if I uh, correct the spelling, if I lowercase everything, I normalize things, then it was much easier to be done. So that's the query processing step. Then you have what we call candidate retrieval. Some companies won't need this because the data that they have is so small uh, that they don't need to worry about retrieving certain candidates. So let me explain what this is. At Spotify in particular, we have um, millions and millions of items in our catalog, different podcast episodes, artists, shows, all these things. Now, it isn't feasible to return all of these millions of things every time someone does a search. 
uh, and, and then go on to rank it. What we have to do is pull out the most relevant group. So we typically pull out, pull out a few hundred. And now, so we've got to somehow find from that query that's been processed, how can we get the first, say, two, three, four hundred items that are most relevant to the query? Uh, and we've got to do this in a short amount of time. Um, and then once we've got that few hundred, so that second step, that candidate retrieval, pulling out a few hundred, we then need to order that 200. We need to rank it in such a way that you're presented with the most relevant things at the top. And that's the ranking step. And typically that ranking step takes in the most information about the context. So it will take in a lot of like user information. It's like that personalization side and all of the metadata, whereas the candidate retrieval step will be much more lightweight it might not have as much information as the ranking step. But all this is done very, very quickly. So if you use, for example, Spotify search, you'll notice that after you type every character, you get results. And so on each character step, all these three processes happen. Um, and we have very strict latency or time constraints to get those results to you. And that's largely how things might differ. You'll notice if you do a Google search, it does. You have to press search in the search bar after typing your entire query, and that's largely. I, I, I suspect it's because there's billions of things on the internet. You could mean so many different things. Uh, um, trying to return for each character probably isn't going to be as useful. Um, yeah. And how do you measure how successful you're being with search, and and then also how do you decide what bit you need to optimize? Yeah, so this is largely where we start thinking about um, what is it that the business is trying to achieve and how can we help those business goals with search? And this is when we think about what we're trying to optimize. So, um, you know, we might have, you know, we have podcasts on the platform and that started around 2018. So around that time, we would have almost certainly said, We've got podcasts on a platform. We need to improve how people search for podcasts um, because the type, the ways in which people search for podcasts is quite different to how they search for music. In which case, you know, we need to invest some time to, to learn about this. And this is specifically what my team has done in, um, I think, around early last year, we first started really trying to delve into even like improving the podcast search even more. Um, so trying to understand the semantics of this. So you didn't just like recommend the product experience every single time someone tried to search for something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that, that, that's what I'll do next solution. time. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what I'll do next time. <laughs> you know, it's what? obviously I, I, what they want to find. <laughs> I'm going to take it to the meeting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you'll get a pay rise and a promotion if you do that. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, sorry, I interrupted. No, Carry no, on. no, no problem. <laughs> so this is the sort of way, this is how we'll decide what we're going to work on. We might also, for example, you know, Spotify is in like loads and loads of countries. Um, and so our localization, you know, we can we work a lot in, in English and for English speaking markets, but in non-English speaking markets, maybe the search experience isn't so good. Maybe our spell correction algorithms are actually optimize so much for English that it doesn't work so well in non-English languages. So we'll decide what sort of problems to go after, often looking for our data, trying to see trends, like do we have less success in in this particular 
country or, or region or or this type of content are we like really bad at recommending? So that's how we might come up with what we're going to work on. Then we're going to set objectives or, or metrics that we're going to look at, which we say, if I've improved search in this country, well, then I should get more successful searches in that country. Or if I've improved podcast search, then maybe I'll have an improvement in my podcast success metrics. And so, yeah, that, that's how we largely try and come up with, with what we're going to work on. What's a good way for, for the product managers to come and work with your team? I mean, we, we usually come in and say, uh, we've got an objective for what we want to do on a sprint. We'll sit down, work with our engineers on uh, breaking things down into stories, p- potentially estimating them and things like that. But when you work with ML, when you work with some of these things, it's not as straightforward as all that. It's not always so easy to predict uh, how hard something's going to be, how long it's going to take. So what's what does it actually look like? What's a, a good experience of working with the product team? Yeah, so this is uh, actually like one of the things that I've found different a lot uh, in different companies, like how we actually work together with uh, or, or just work on a product to achieve, let's say, a business objective or things like that. So often what, what happens at Spotify, and I've found it works really well, is the product manager will often try to define the problem. Try to define a problem space. So I've mentioned that, um, you know, we might not do so well in other countries and other markets in search. And the product manager might have a look at the business goal, know that, say, there's a problem in a particular market. Does solving the problem for the market achieve or work towards the business goal? If yes, great. If not, then perhaps we need to look for a different uh, problem. But they'll try and define some of the problems. But the product managers won't like prescribe a solution. And I think that's that works really well because then we can take a problem and we take uh, about two weeks, we take a sprint usually as engineers to take all of the goals that we want in the business and in search and then try and come up with, uh, and then we get the problems and we come up with what we call requests for comments or RFCs. These are just documents where we might write down what we think a solution to them is, share it with product managers and engineers. They comment on it. We try and refine the idea of what it's going to, what it's going to look like. Um, and then that will work as our plan for a piece of work, let's say in the next quarter or the next sprint that we're going to do to hopefully tackle the problem that we have and therefore work towards the the objectives that we have in our in our department or in our company that makes loads of sense but what about qa like how do you how do you then qa the changes that you're making or uh you know test what your what your changes are doing yeah so this is well, there's, there's like QA that we do within the team to make sure things work. And then there's like essentially the, the what we call an online versus offline testing. So I'll, I'll put it like that. So offline testing mm-hmm. is when we test things, uh, they're not in front of users at this point. We're testing them uh, amongst employees offline. So it's not, we're not worried about uh, too much that goes on. So we'll test on ourselves sometimes we have an employee rollout so there might be a new idea that we have that 
we think we want to get feedback on because we're not sure about the user experience. So we're just going to roll this out to employees, let the company know, get some feedback first on what works well, what doesn't, um, make some of those changes. And then we might start doing the online testing or what people mostly call A-B testing. So at this point, we run these A-B tests where we'll take 50% of users that will have like the current experience, the status quo, and then 50% of users that will have this new feature we've worked on. And then we'll run a test where basically those two different groups will just, some of them won't even know that they, most of the time, they won't know that there's a test running um, because the changes will be so slight, so different in many cases. So yeah, so we run a test like that and we'll see, does the improvement in search change across those two groups? So do the people who get the new feature, are they getting to a, a, a result that they might stream quick more quickly do they end up with more successful more things that they actually stream or add to a playlist or things like that and so those are the sort of measures that we'll look at to say is this feature actually better or not that's great from a a quantitative standpoint but before you do that do you look at customer research do you look at uh, qualitative measures as well to try and understand how to implement the stuff yeah so there'll be some uh products or some some features which we will just run out and do an a b test largely because they they won't necessarily be known we won't know necessarily if it's actually gonna have an improvement but we don't think that the user will experience things too differently so this might be something with like we've got a new ranker and we're reordering the results most of the time it's so difficult for even the person who's actually written the ranking algorithm to tell so yeah, those sorts of things we probably won't put in front of, uh, say, a, a user. We won't do any user research. Um, but we do do some user research, um, particularly when either we've got a big, say, UI change, a change in how things will look, or if we're going to completely the unknown. So if we want to, say, launch in a new market and we want to know what the problems are or or what friction points are that's when we'll start doing some of the user research and they'll come back uh, the user researchers will come back with um a, a presentation actually sometimes not even sometimes every time they do the user research we're allowed to sit in on the interviews as well so that's also very insightful i love sitting in on user research um panels because i learn things that really challenge what i thought about how people interacted or people knew about a product. It's absolutely fantastic. But yeah, so we can sit in on the interviews. Um, the user, user researchers will typically try to summarize those key points and try to make clear what problems there are. And then we can figure out how to solve them. And that's just um, sort of made me think about like, you know, the the biases that you might, as you are writing the algorithms to return results for for the customers of Spotify, um, how do you avoid like putting your own kind of bias into those algorithms or, or you know, I guess even like having, if there's personalization, how do you kind of ensure that it doesn't 
just mean that that person just sees the same content over and over again. Or maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe that's what they want. <laughs> well, yeah, that's so bias is like a real big problem. And actually, I, th- I mean, you could have a whole we could have a whole podcast episode on on, on bias in algorithms. Um, th- the truth is, I have not worked anywhere and seen an algorithm that hasn't been biased to to uh, an extent where I felt completely like actually where this is a, this is sufficient amount of bias it's not too bad to be honest a lot of it is is inherent in the algorithms and it just so happens that the type of bias may or may not be <laughs> malicious in some sense so often when people talk about biased algorithms it's typically on malicious algorithms and and the ones that people see the most so it could be like facial recognition and things like that most of the bias we see typically in recommendation systems or search systems are on things that are very popular and just get clicked on so you know you're more likely to see um an artist come up like taylor swift or bts or bad bunny in a search then uh, uh I, clearly i don't see enough of them um but <laughs> <laughs> but you're more likely to see artists like that than you would do like a, an artist who you know has like risen locally has like a few thousand streams maybe um mm. and that's just because an algorithm that is designed to improve like the amount that people like stream or like have a successful search they're designed to get like the things that's most likely to be clicked and the things that are most likely to be clicked yeah. are the things that are popular so um with search there's it's not as bad as in other areas and this is because with the query the user can state their intent but typically especially in cases and i've also worked on algorithms where it's not been search related but i've still been recommending certain things like at delivery like it can be to the point where like you just get too much popularity so an example i had and the only reason that i felt like quite strongly about the fact we need to tackle bias so i'm vegan and like the most popular stuff on any food delivery website is not vegan. So <laughs> when I saw ranking algorithms that would constantly give me non-vegan restaurants, I'm like, we've got way too much bias in here because it clearly hasn't learned me personally. And so, yeah, these, these, and I, I, I was also helping to work on the algorithm, you know, and when I can't solve it myself, like it, it's, it can be very difficult. So there's a lot of things to tweak and change. Um, and yeah, I, the bias will exist uh, almost everywhere all the time. <laughs> I knew a guy years and years ago who uh, owned some radio stations and he, I was out to dinner with him and he told me, I can prove that you only like 400 songs because, you know, the, some of the most popular radio stations have a really restricted playlist. And I said, you know, I used to be a music journalist. I guarantee you that I like more than 400 songs and I like to learn new things. So but we all think we're special and unique and wonderful. How predictable and how unique are we really when the, when you look at this? Are we less unique than we think, or is everyone really needs something really tweaked to them? Yeah, no, uh, we are not unique. We love to think we are. We really aren't. Um, it's <laughs> it, it's so funny. I've I've actually had to read a lot of read a lot of books. I also was like spent a lot of time. So I said I worked previously at the 
so it was a news uk was the media publishing company I, I was at and i worked in the times newspaper in the sun and um yeah one of the things we were trying to do was look at like what people wanted to to read so when we were like recommending like what should what should the home page look like so on any given day we've got new news articles and i remember talking to one of the editors who said to me like we know what everyone wants it's nudity and celebrity deaths like that's what comes <laughs> up and it doesn't matter how many surveys you do so they said it doesn't matter how many surveys they do with people always saying they want feel-good stories they want uh this that, and the other. now the data tells us that you want naked people in your in your <laughs> on your feed um and and so yeah like some of these things like even when people think they want certain things doesn't really match what their behaviors are and mm -hmm. there's a really good book about it i read called everybody lies uh what the internet can tell us about who we really are and it's um written i remember his th first name is seth but i can't remember his second name but it's a fantastic book um which is so he's a social largest social scientist by background worked a bit at google and, and now for the new york times and he largely looks at like big data searches to try and understand um what people are so it goes from say google searches all the way to pornhub searches and tries to understand the trends that people are seeing and i i won't spoil it or say anything obscene um but yeah people are quite predictable and they can <laughs> search for some <laughs> really odd things <laughs> i suppose that's the the kind of the thing as well with search or or with engagement with people on the internet in general is you've got the behavior that they're actually doing and then there's also the behavior that you kind of want them to do so obviously like in at spotify you probably want them to like listen to more music so i suppose those they, for, for you those two things are aligned but yeah it's a kind of interesting well there's influence that you can have where you might want to like get people to explore new artists because then if they have new content to consume then they're more likely to come back maybe or is are, are there any other sort of things that you're optimizing for when you think of search yeah so it can vary quite a bit and and in terms of what we optimize if you ask me every quarter there might be something new that we're trying to optimize for yeah. um often if if i were to say like there's an overarching thing we want we would say if someone does a search we want them to find something that they will engage with. Yeah. So that's the idea. So if if they do a search and they don't engage with something, that means we've probably not shown the right things. Um, but what we want them to engage with can change. So, you know, we might, as I said, like when we got podcasts on the platform, like it was a bit of a push. We wanted to make sure that, you know, the value that we gave to not only just the users but the creators of podcasts like it it they wouldn't want to put stuff on a platform if we weren't actually getting people into podcasts so it was something that we wanted to increase and we can do that we've i've seen that in several places if we show more um so one of the things at delivery for example we wanted to like make sure that we showed restaurants that were more like independent chains to become more fair uh, was what we said and, and actually we could increase orders by just showing those at the top so if if you open the app you get the 
list of restaurants that open on your phone. If you put those restaurants higher, people will purchase from those. Um, mm. Same thing. People will basically engage with the stuff that you show them. Um, and it's weird because I would think to myself, like, no, I know what I want. You can show me yeah. what you want, but I'm going to engage with what I want. Um, but actually, these companies, they're, they're, they're sneaky. Um, and I say these companies as if I'm not part of part of the problem uh, or, or, or someone <laughs> trying to do that. But yeah, I um, metrics tell us that we can show you stuff and make sure that you change your behavior slightly depending on what yeah. we show you. It really reminds me of um, the film High Fidelity where or and the book <laughs> where um, the guy's like, right, I'm going to sell five copies of this album now. And he just puts it on in the store and then everyone's like, hey, man, what's this music? Yeah, I want to buy a copy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's exactly that, isn't it? So, yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> So one of the, I used to work in a search company as well. And one of the things that we found quite interesting was we would have like a certain amount of um, results that were kind of true to the search that had been made. And then some that were s slightly more personalized to the customer. So based on their own viewing or, or listening. Mm. But then we had a bit of a sort of like randomization one as well, <laughs> like angle as well. Do you do you do anything like that? Because I find that almost helps with all of the not not helps to like remove bias, but it helps to add in a little bit of, you know, a little bit of spice, a little bit of something different that you probably weren't expecting. And also, you know, potentially like keep the algorithm fresh or something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is this is a good question. This goes into like uh, a, a part of machine learning that I guess Spotify are like in, investing quite heavily in. So specifically me in search, I haven't done any of the randomization stuff. I've seen papers where people in Spotify have. So we have like had like a proportion of the searches or users that like uh, randomize the feed. But actually what people are doing for, in machine learning to try to keep the algorithm fresh as you say okay is this field called reinforcement learning and this is where what we do is you create a machine learning model that says i want to optimize and get the the most say clicks on on certain things um, as an example but what i'll do is i'm going to assume that i can just put stuff maybe a bit at random some of it's going to be ordered in a particular way but i might just quickly slip in like this particular piece of content that and we'll see if you engage with it if you do great now i have a bit of a better idea about that and if you don't then it says okay that's not good but i'll try and get another so we call it explore exploit so we want to get enough randomization to explore all of the potential candidates or the content that we have to see whether it's any good but then we also know enough that we want to exploit what we do know. We can order it in the way that we think is best for you. And there are algorithms that automatically decide how much to explore and to exploit and how to learn. So, yeah, so that's actually a, a newer way to do it. In fact, a lot of stuff that comes out of DeepMind, so AlphaGo and all that stuff and AlphaZero and AlphaFold, because uh, I'm a protein guy, I love the AlphaFold thing. It's all reinforcement learning. 
it's very much explore exploit to, to try and learn what the best moves are so yeah amazing we have run out of time sadly but i could geek out on this for a lot longer <laughs> <laughs> no me too <laughs> thank you so much for joining us johnny oh thank you very much it's been a pleasure The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>